Illinois Right to Life. My name is Savannah Dudzik. I'm the communications assistant here at Illinois Right to Life. And today I'm here with Anna Lewis. Anna, can you start by introducing yourself and sharing just a bit about you? Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me on. My name is Anna Lewis. I'm the digital engagement strategist at Students for Life of America. I've been with them for a little over two years. Before that, I was a college student at Liberty University, which is was super fun, uh, but I am super Catholic. So a lot of people don't know that. I always have to clarify. Um, yeah, that's I am super excited to be joining you, though, to be talking about all things pro-life. Yes, I'm really excited to have Anna on. We um, had followed each other on Instagram for a little while. Uh, we did some live streams together, and then I met her in person in D.C. when Roe was overturned. So um, I, I'm excited to hear her opinions on now that Roe is overturned, now that we're a few months in, like where, where we think we should go from here, how to talk to women about this all that. But before we jump into that, can you tell us a little bit, like, why are you working in the pro-life movement, right? Why are you a young woman working in the pro-life movement? What led you here? Tell us a little bit your, your journey. Um, yeah, thanks for asking. I was always pro-life, um, which is interesting. However, I wasn't necessarily pro-life because of my uh, any religious belief. I actually identified as agnostic for 19 years of my life. Um, but I was always super driven by science. So like my family super into STEM and that was kind of anything and everything we talked about at the dinner table. So you almost didn't bring up a topic unless it was well reasoned, had scientific proof backing it or whatnot. So science was kind of my God in a way. And I mm. understood and recognized the scientific evidence that accompanied the pro-life movement in a, in a weird way. Like a lot of people I knew who were agnostic or atheist um, were also very science driven, but abortion never was talked about a lot. But when it was, it was like, yeah, we can't necessarily deny the scientific fact that human life starts at fertilization. Um, so I was always pro-life in that sense. I recognized and understood the scientific evidence that backed the pro-life movement. Um, but there was not necessarily a big why, like why I should care um, right. because I was agnostic. So like if, if why do human beings have value, have worth? Like, and I think everybody understands at some level that human beings have worth and value that separate us from birds or any other form of animal uh, you can think of. And, and, but nobody tries to rationalize the why behind that. A lot of people think like, oh, well, yeah, the universe tells us this, and this is, this is why we should care about human lives. And, and therefore we should care about social issues like the abortion issue. Um, but that isn't logically consistent in my opinion. And I don't think people who have that worldview or belief system, um, uh, are, are, like I mentioned, being logically consistent. So like when I was, I want to say, yeah, 19, I started questioning I'm a little before I was 19. I want to say like eight, 18, 19, I started questioning, mm -hmm. um, the meaning of life and which is sounds cliche, but honestly, if I, if I truly thought about it, like, why do we matter as human beings? Like what, why? Um, and I, I did accomplish a few things when I was 18. Um, like I made, a, I figure skated and I, I made a team that generally represents uh, team USA at world events oh, wow. when I was 18 years old. And I thought, 
from my worldly and earthly perspective and what the secularized society has told me is that if you were to achieve all these successes and whatnot, you would just feel all this worth and value. And mm. I didn't. And so I went back to, uh, all my friends who generally weren't religious. And I would say, you know, I don't really do that Christian stuff, but like, why am I not happy when I have it all according to the world? So I started questioning the meaning of life and looking into all these, I don't know, like philosophers and whatever you may have. And I had this crazy conversion to mere Christianity. And then I ended up transferring to Liberty university. And I want to say that's really when I started getting passionate about the pro-life movement. So Um, I was, like I mentioned, always pro-life, but the why for me wasn't necessarily always there until I understood why human lives matter. And they matter because we're made in the image of God. Because I'm like extremely Catholic right now and I I am super involved in the pro-life movement, I don't necessarily think you need to be a Christian or hold any um, type of religious belief to be pro-life and to... Mm -hmm be active within the pro-life movement. I just personally think the why gives individuals more motivation to get involved. So I was at Liberty and I um, helped start the, or run the Catholic campus ministry. And later on that led me to obviously like be involved in the pro-life movement. And so I helped out with their events and uh, sidewalk counseling, everything you can name. And then Students for Life of America recognized me and kind of found me, I want to say. And the president of the organization, Kristen Hawkins, didn't end up offering me a full-time position within Students for Life of America right when I was graduating, which was in 2020. So I never thought I would be full-time working in the pro-life movement. I didn't even know that was a thing until I was offered this job. I kind of just was, I was helping mothers and parenting and pregnant students because I felt called to do that. I felt like that was an Mm -hmm. obligation that I needed to do. And I think every single Christian needs to do. Um, and through that work, I, this sounds cliche as I keep mentioning, but I do feel like it was a God thing in the sense where he wanted me to go into the pro-life movement to continue this work but more so I want to say outside of a Christian environment. So yes, I went to Liberty University and it was easier to be pro-life in that type of environment. However, because I was so extremely passionate about this, I think God wanted to utilize me um, to combat the evil of abortion within a secularized society. So then I moved to DC and did all my pro-life activism there. Wow. Yeah. That's such an interesting story that I feel like you don't hear that much that you were always kind of pro-life because of the science, but Mm -hmm. it doesn't, it doesn't really matter that much. Like what does that have to do with you? And then you became a Christian and you realize obviously that we have a duty to protect these unborn children. And so that's when you kind of really got involved. No, that that's so, that's so interesting. And it really just shows too, like you have such a unique story that, that really, that really shows people that you don't have to be, you don't have to be Christian to be pro-life, but the Christian faith definitely helps being pro-life. You know, it's it's kind of like a, like both ways standpoint. Yeah. Like I went to, I, from, I've been to almost every single March for life, like as I can think of since I could walk. And I attribute that to my parents, but 
it wasn't from this like deeply overly spiritual place. It was from the fact of human life matters. Maybe at that time I didn't fully understand why, but I recognize human life matters and science tells us there's a consensus within the scientific community from secular sources that say human life starts at fertilization and therefore at that moment they have human rights you can't pick and choose when human rights begin or who right. has human rights based off of some type of stage of development mm-hmm. if you are a human being you have human rights and those human rights need to be protect protected and abortion infringes upon that so yeah like i yeah. understood that that scientific framework and so you don't necessarily have to be religious to be pro-life because I wasn't for the longest time, but that does help. Oh yeah, no, definitely. And I will talk a little bit more about this as we, as we get into our next sections, but thank you for that introduction, Anna. Next, we will discuss a little bit more about your opinion on the pro-life movement. But first, now that Roe v. Wade has been overturned, our work in Illinois is just beginning. Now more than ever, Illinois Right to Life must help women choose life through our Project Love Grant Program, direct women to pregnancy resource centers through our PregnancyHelpFinder.com website, and work to build a culture of life through education across Illinois. We cannot do this without your help. Your your donations are critical to holding back the radical pro-abortion agenda of Governor Pritzker, Personal PAC, and Planned Parenthood. Please visit IllinoisRightToLife.org forward slash donate today to help save lives across our state. Again, that's IllinoisRightToLife.org forward slash donate. Together, we can win Illinois for life. So now I always like to ask, what were you doing on the day Roe was overturned? Just give us a little rundown of that day. Because I saw you that night, actually. (laughs) I was about to say we were together, um, which was (laughs) such a funny story because I know we were texting earlier Mm -hmm. and I was like, yeah, just stay with me. (laughs) Like, you need a place to stay? Okay. Just like, you know, Um, so I'm glad we were able to connect that day. But I was, um, I live in Southern Virginia right now. And so I drove up the night before because I had a feeling that um, Roe v. Wade was going to be reversed based off of like, just sources and all the information we consume at Students for Life. I we had a fairly we were fairly confident um, Roe was going to be reversed in the next day or so when I, I drove up to DC. So drove up to DC, woke up the next morning, and I handle a lot of mass communications for Students for Life. So I had to be in uh, my hotel room, setting out like when the news broke, just sending out mass emails, text mm-hmm. messages, you name it. Um, so I did that and I was, so yeah, I was, I was just sitting in my hotel room when I found out and I got the text from my boss at the time saying it happened, Rose reversed. I didn't have time. I think to uh, like freak out and celebrate. It was mainly like, all right, I need to do my job and send out all the stuff we prepped in regards to the potential reversal of Roe and then book it to the Supreme court. So I Mm -hmm. did not really have time to react besides like, oh my word, it's happening, but I kind of knew it was going to happen. Um, and so as I was driving to the Supreme Court, it was that when I got to the Supreme Court, I think that was the time where I felt like I was living a day in history, truly. So um, super excited, not necessarily thinking <laughs> in terms of people are yelling at me right now because there were a lot of pro-abortion protesters who were there. Um, and I showed up as the pro-life crowd was kind of leaving. 
Um, so they, they obviously were not the happiest, especially when they saw a girl with a pro-life sign, but I didn't really care. I was just so happy. Um, and I did a lot of media hits that day, talked to, um, a lot of pro-abortion protesters about the issue as well. And it just got a little, uh, heated and rough. So I did have to get escorted, um, away from the Supreme Court, which is funny because I have lived like right when I graduated from Liberty, I lived in Washington, D.C. for a little over two years. And I was at the Supreme Court all the time with activism right. work. So the fact that that was the first time I ever had to get escorted away can kind of tell you guys a lot. But I like I said, didn't really care. I wasn't really thinking. I was so happy. Um, and then after the fact, I went back to um, my hotel room and I just did more work for Students for Life. And then you joined me later in the day. So it was a yeah. Uh, yeah, no, that's funny. That's funny. Least. I totally, yeah, I kind of forgot actually going on to this live chat, but it's kind of funny story because uh, I asked Anna what she was doing like when I got to the hotel room at like 1130 at night, but I actually, I was doing all the press for Illinois Right to Life um, in Florida. And then I spoke in Tampa and then, well, I decided I texted Anna. I think, I don't know if it was the night before or that day. It might've been that day, but I was like, I was like, Hey, I think I'm just going to like come to DC. Like, can I stay with you? And she's like, yeah, sure. <laughs> and so I just, yeah, I booked it to the, uh, the, the plane station. Oh my gosh. I'm so dumb. I booked it to the airport after I spoke and headed on out. And then we, yeah, we met up and talked about the different, about everything that was happening. Yeah, it was such a surreal day. It was honestly one of the best days of my life. I, I was very different than you, Anna. You were probably a lot more focused and you probably got stuff out a lot more, uh, a lot faster than I did because the news broke and I like, I started crying and then my phone started ringing a bunch because like either like press was calling from our, from a press release that I sent out or like my family was calling and they were like, Hey, did you know Rose Overture? I'm like, no, duh, I knew Rose Overture. <laughs> um, but anyway, it was just, it was such an amazing moment for the pro-life movement. And I think that like that joy and everything, I think, I mean, that was captured in a lot of photographs and all this stuff. And it's just, I think we're never going to forget it, but now, now we're, um, two months in, like around, around two months, it's been almost two yeah. months since Roe has been overturned. Yeah. What do you think? Like, okay. First question. How do we talk to young women who are just devastated about this? You know, who are just really scared, really devastated, really just like, don't know what to do about hearing the Roe is overturned. I think women, the reason why women are scared right now is because of the lack of information they have. So I think a lot of people are trying to fear monger and tell women this is a right and you're going to be less equal to men now, which is so, I hate, I, it's not empowering for women, number one, and it is dehumanizing to a certain point because you're essentially saying my ability to reproduce um, makes me less or not an equal to men, uh, when that's a natural and beautiful thing that, um, women are gifted with. So to tell women that they need to get rid of the aspects or components that make them unique and beautiful to be equal to their male counterpart is oppressive. Um, and it, it's degrading. So it's unfortunate, but that is the narrative that the mainstream media has been trying to push for the longest time. And so I think when news broke, a lot of people were scared because they weren't 
they didn't know what that meant necessarily, which they didn't, Roe being reversed didn't outright ban abortion. And a lot of people Mm -hmm. for some reason thought that was the case. And they thought that because of the false information that was pushed Mm -hmm. within mainstream media. And people want to talk about spreading misinformation, but nobody wants to talk about it when it's the side the, when it comes to the pro-abortion movement. Right. Um, and there's so much misinformation that has been pushed and continues to get pushed, which is why you see a lot of people who, and a lot of young women who are afraid. I think as a pro-life movement, what we can effectively do is educate women on this issue, whether that be through digital platforms, which I think is the most effective way because everybody, especially people within our generation, I'm 24 years old, um, we're all on social media. That is where we consume the news. So if we're able to put as much information out there in regards to the abortion issue, I do think women will be exposed to that and will naturally feel better about uh, the situation of Roe being reversed and understand that what abortion is. A lot of people don't even know what abortion is. And when you're able to explain that to someone, they naturally tend to support limits. And we've done studies at this at Students for Life that show that to be the case, not only with what abortion does and permits, but also human development. A lot of people don't understand human development at all. So when you're able to explain that human life does start at fertilization, these are the objective facts behind it. People and like the things that come with that. So like Mm -hmm. at each stage of development, if you're able to like humanize the preborn child, for example, um, when a baby has a heartbeat, a lot of people will say, okay, well, I don't, I I don't support abortion when it has a heartbeat because people associate that um, with life. And obviously it's already a life at that point. However, when you're able to bring more of um, uh, humanized characteristics of Preborn children, I do think people are more sympathetic to the issue as well. So I think there's a lot of ways ways we can go about it, but education, in my opinion, is key. Yeah, yeah, I know. I think that's so important. I think I think what you're saying, you know, about just the thing is the other side, the pro-abortion movement is so present on these digital media forms. They're so present on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter, all over the place. And we as a pro-life movement really need to step up and be present. And saying that, I mean, like we are, we are standing up and being present. I think that really in the past year, especially we have gotten so much better at seeing something that is not a fact that is a lie and putting something out that's the the truth, you know. And uh Anna, what's your what's your Instagram tagline? Uh Anna Lulis, so A-N-N-A-L-U-L-I-S. Perfect. I'll put that in the show notes too. But Anna has a lot of great information. She she puts out a lot of great information, like debunking posts, you know, when whenever whenever Planned Parenthood, the other side puts out misinformation. And it's it's so interesting to me because that's where that's where young people are, especially ever since COVID. That's where young women are. That's where they're scrolling when they're waiting to get their hair done, when they're waiting for the job, when they're, you know, all this stuff is Instagram. And if they just see these lies that are put out by Planned Parenthood and we don't, we don't have um, things to counter it. I mean, they they are going to be scared, like you said, because it does sound scary if you don't know the truth. Yeah, 100%. And that's their goal is to freak people out so much so where they start supporting things they're not even fully aware of the consequences 
an act that has certain consequences, for example. So like abortion, most people don't even know what abortion does or like human, human, the, what human development looks like Mm -hmm. um, and what that consists of. And so if you're able to scare people into so much so into supporting an act that ends the life of a unique and distinct human being, that's a powerful tactic to use and people have been using and they recognize that. So I think that is their goal. And like you mentioned, digital platforms are the best way to kind of combat the misinformation that's out there. Yeah, definitely. So Anna, now we'd like to shift our conversation a little bit more to this year, 2022. We're going to discuss um, what your hopes are for this coming year, what you want to see in the pro-life movement, and what you and the people of Illinois and beyond can do to be part of our life-saving mission. Speaking of 2022, we want to announce our 2022 Illinois Right to Life Action Banquet. Don't miss this event on Friday, October 14th at 6 p.m. Our speaker will be Cal Thomas, American columnist. Tickets will go on sale in a few months, but be sure to save the date now. So our last little segment, I want to hear from you. You know, there's a lot of people who have a lot of different opinions, like the pro-life movement should be doing this, the pro-life movement should be doing that. What should the pro-life movement be doing in this time of transition? Is there, do we even need a pro-life movement anymore? Like, are we done? Roe's been overturned. Are we done? What's your opinion? (laughs) So even though Roe is reversed, the battle's just begun. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people need to understand and not get complacent with the life issue that just because we had this huge success, um, that now we need to mobilize and get into our communities at the local level to support women in need. And I think the best way to do this is to get churches involved. And I don't think that is the end all solution to fix abortion. However, if churches were more engaged in the pro-life movement, I don't think you'd be seeing as big of, uh, a crisis when women do experience unexpected pregnancy and feel like their only option is abortion. The majority of women who get an abortion say they feel like they had to do that because there was no other option. There was no other choice. And a little over 40% of women who are post-abortive identified as being active church goers uh, when they got their abortion. So the fact that this is a huge issue within the church, um, that's almost half, almost half of uh, post-abortive women have said that they were active church goers. So like I mentioned, if, if we don't have this issue corrected within the church and, and allow the church to feel like it's a place with resources that are loving, um, but also like stand and walk alongside women, I don't think we're going to see a change within culture at all. So you kind of need to change the culture of the church before you try to change a culture within a secularized society. Um, so I, I do think getting more engaged within our church communities, whether that be within Protestantism, Catholicism, or Orthodoxy, um, Christianity on the grand scheme of things, I think could largely uh, help with this issue. No, that is such a good point. I I mean, 40%, a little over 40% of women who ha- who got abortions, is that correct? Uh, said that they were previously church-going women. Well, when they got their when abortion, they, when they, got their they abortion, identified they as going being active churchgoers. Wow. Which is crazy. That is crazy. It it really it, you're right. It shows the fact, it shows that we need to, we need to get our churches involved. And there's, it's, it's interesting. There's this, this really amazing pastor in, um, 
in Chicago. He's a Protestant pastor and he, his name is Pastor Chris Butler. Shout out to Pastor Chris Butler. I know his assistant listens to this web, this podcast sometimes, so maybe he'll hear, but he, he talks about that all the time. He talks about how um, the churches are just kind of like, they, they want to get involved. Maybe they're not sure how to get involved, but the, the bigger thing is they're scared to get involved, you know, because I think some of them see this as a political issue. Mm-hmm. What, would you, what would you say to the churches that would see this kind of as a political issue? I would say that they're weak to be quite <laughs> frank. No, I'm not even <laughs> okay, kidding. Fair. Like I, I'm just like, I'm the type of person that says that how it is. I think the church has become so weak within America that we are so overly sensitive Mm -hmm. to everything right now. So much so where we don't even want to talk about anything, any injustice. So what are you going to do? Talk about the gospel, but not talk about injustices that are going on in modern day society without like, you have to acknowledge injustices that are happening with your own neighbor, like right, right down the street. Like these things, abortion will always affect somebody, you know, in one way or the other. And you, and you don't know about it because you don't want to talk about it because nobody wants to talk about things that are seen as being controversial. Mm -hmm. But if you are a Christian, you will be controversial. Yes. Jesus himself said, if you follow me and they hate you, remember that they hated me first. Mm -hmm. It's we as Christians just the mere fact that we accept Christ and we call ourselves Christians, we will be seen as being controversial human beings. We will be persecuted for our belief system because we have truth on our side. However, if we have truth on our side, but we're not willing to speak the truth, there's an issue. And I would say that there's something wrong with your walk with Christ at that point, because we are called to die to ourselves the moment we accept Christ into our lives. So if you're not willing to speak up about this issue because you think it's too political, get over it. You're being weak. Yeah. Uh, we and the church cannot be weak right now. The reason why almost over 40% or over 40% of women who are post-abortive, who identified as being active churchgoers while they were getting the abortion is because churches were weak and they didn't want to talk about it. But this is a crisis within the church. So I think like being, you can't be indifferent. The And my favorite saying, uh, St. Uh, Maximilian Kopi, he is the patron saint of the pro-life movement. He said, um, and he actually offered up his life to save the life of another man that he didn't even know a stranger. Um, uh, he said, has said that the deadliest poison of our time is indifference. So, and yeah. we see that within the church right true. now. This so um, yeah, I think churches need to get over it. They need to understand that there are some issues that are politically, uh, are going to surround the political realm for sure, because Mm -hmm. every social issue has become political. We cannot decide now that it's become politicized. We can no longer talk about it. We still have to talk about these issues, even if politics has kind of like stepped into different areas or components of Christianity, like our values and belief system. Naturally, it will happen. And, and if something becomes politicized, it will become polarized, but that shouldn't stop the church from speaking out about any issue, let alone the abortion issue. Yeah. I agree with you on all that. No, I, that made me, that quote made me think of another quote from, uh, Fulton Sheen, which he's also another big Catholic leader. And he says, 
Um, if you stand for nothing, you'll fall for anything. And it's, it's getting to, to the point where there's a lot of churches who, you know, you can, you can read the gospel, you can preach the gospel, but part of the gospel tells us, I mean, obviously to protect human life, right. To love our neighbor, that we are our brother's keeper. So we churches really, you know, this is maybe calling out churches a little bit, but you need to be active in this because the other thing that I wanted to say is it's an issue of human life, you know? I don't think I know for a fact that Jesus doesn't want you to stand by and watch all these lives being killed. Like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what realm it's in, what what box society puts this issue in. The fact is, it's an issue of human life and churches need to stand up and support, support women in crisis pregnancies. And also it just, it shouldn't be controversial to support yeah. women, you know? Unfortunately it is, but it really shouldn't be. I know, I agree. And if somebody within your parish comes up to you and says, Hey, I don't like that. You're speaking out about the abortion issue say like, okay, let's have a conversation right. about it. I'm not going to change my stance, nor am I going to not allow the church to get involved within this issue, but let's have a conversation. Why are you pro-abortion? Right. And then explain to me whether if you're a Protestant from a biblical standpoint, why you support this or how mm-hmm. you can justify an act like this or from like a Catholic Orthodox perspective, okay, what does the church and sacred scripture say about this? Um, So I think just because something can seem scary or you have some people who are, may get upset about the issue, it it shouldn't scare pastors away from speaking out about it in a very strong manner, but also having those discussions uh, with their parishioners as well. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, no, I think that was, that was a really good thing to bring up that I think really needs, really needs to be talked about is church involvement in the pro-life movement for sure. Especially, honestly, especially in the Chicagoland area, there are some pastors, there are some priests who really want to be involved, but it's just taking that next step of just kind of owning it, you know, mm-hmm. and the fact that this is a human life rights issue. And this is the greatest human rights violation of our day. And that this is what, I mean, the church should be all over this, you know, ideally the church should be. Yeah. Um, But yeah. Is there anything else you want to add, Anna? Anything else? uh, Where can people find you on social media? Um, Are there any events students for life is having anytime soon? I actually don't know that. So. Um, So you guys can find me at Anna Lewis. So, uh, and then that's on Instagram, A-N-N-A-L-U-L-I-S. You can also find me on Twitter. Um, Just add the M in between um, Anna and Lewis. And then I work for Students for Life of America. And so follow us on all of our social media platforms. Um, And the tagline is just generally Students for Life or our sister organization, um, that's students for life action and then you can all look that up on social media twitter honestly any digital platform out there and that kind of keeps you updated with what's going on within the pro-life movement but also um, provides in my opinion educational content that is Mm -hmm. effective in debunking a lot of the misinformation that people are seeing nowadays there is an event speaking of churches and this was not intentional at all um (laughs) There is an event that we're hosting at Students for Life coming up called Standing with Her Sunday, uh, which is a Simu is a webcast that uh, brings all these pastors together or religious leaders to talk about how the church does need to stand with her, her being uh, the woman who may be experiencing an unexpected pregnancy or pregnancy in general that uh, she just needs help walking through. Um, so we, you can find information for that 
by typing in standingwithhertsunday.org and uh, get involved that way. And you can have your church get involved, small group, um, watch it by yourself virtually. Or if you're in the Colorado area, you can actually see it in person. So there's a lot of options you can um, use for that. And that's something that's coming up very soon. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Anna, for joining Life Chat. Speaking for myself and the rest of the team at Illinois Right to Life, we want to thank you for all you have done to pave the way for us to continue the work to protect life. And to our listeners and supporters, if you enjoyed today's conversation, please visit our website, IllinoisRightToLife.org, and consider donating to support this podcast and the other work we do to protect life. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time.